I mean, we, we're still waiting for him to go off on someone like he used to on LeBron James. Those are some legendary meltdowns. Oh, no, John, I'm... He's I'm a grown-up now. I'm a much more mellow person. I have a mortgage, John. John, a mortgage is something that you, when the bank gives you money to buy a house. <laughs> I'm sorry, how's, how's, your house, how's your house going? <laughs> what are you explaining that to him? No. Unbelievable. Well, I, I feel- Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Abounds Podcast. John Luck, Mary Evers with you. Once again, we are joined by Corey Cloudman as we are talking about uh, Championship Sunday, getting set for Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we're going to start off with the AFC Championship as the Kansas City Chiefs punched their tickets to return to the Super Bowl, uh, defeating the Buffalo Bills. And this game really wasn't close. And I think a decent reason or a good reason for that is because the coaching of the Bills got in the way. The Bills lost t- uh, 38-24. They did start the game off with a 9 nothing lead, Mary. But after that point, it was all Patrick Mahomes from the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, you can't really be too surprised because as good as the Buffalo Bills have been this season, no one has come really even close to Kansas City in in the aspect of how well the g- game has been planned. I mean, I just I they were able to convert some things with a backup quarterback the week before that just showed you that Andy Reid really does live up to the hype and he is a really good coach. And I think you're right. I think as as talented as Patrick Mahomes is and as great as the receivers are around him. I think what that game came down to was Andy Reid being a better coach than Sean McDermott. And if if I remember correctly, Sean McDermott is a product of the Andy Reid coaching tree. So I guess it makes sense. It's just the same thing with Bill Belichick and any of his quote-unquote protégés um, around the league. He's always been able to beat them. Yeah, I, I mean, it comes down to also like the quarterback game too. Like there's, They were pretty close, Like just like looking at like, you know, Mahomes and Allen. But, I mean, Mahomes, once he did go off, it was just – you know, no mistakes, no interceptions, three touchdowns. And that's what you want out of your quarterback. Allen, I think he stepped up to the, you know, to the plate most times this year. But I think, you know, the pumpkin turned, you know, it, it turned back into a pumpkin at 12. And I think next year, I think they need to add maybe one or two more pieces. And I think they'll, they'll be back in. And I don't think the Bills-Chiefs game is going to be going away for a while. I think they're going to be the top two dogs in the AFC. And we'll talk about this with the NFC Championship game. But to me, there were some questionable coaching decisions uh, because Sean McDermott, with two minutes and 30 seconds left to go in the third quarter, he decided on a, what was it, fourth and three at the Kansas Mm -hmm. City eight to kick a field goal. Now, granted, they already missed a PAT in the first quarter, but if Mm -hmm. they went for it and got the touchdown, you're talking about a one-possession game. Then with less than 15 seconds to go in the first half, they uh, kick a field goal. Um, with the timeout left, and that was, once again, inside of the 10-yard line. So, to me, when you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, Corey, I I mean, if I was a coach, on fourth and goal or fourth and whatever inside of the 10, i go for it because, you know, you're giving Patrick Mahomes maybe a 98, 99-yard field, but to me, I think even if you don't get into the end zone, you have a chance for your defense to capitalize on that and, you know, maybe get some points out of there but to me i think a field goal really doesn't accomplish a lot especially when you're down double digits in multiple possessions at the end of the third quarter right i mean because think about it you're only getting three points out of the field goal and then you have they kick the ball off and you're they're guaranteed at least what the 25 
yeah. if not more, if they have a good kickoff return, that brings it to the 30, you know, the 30 or 35. So you think about it, hey, well, even if we don't get this first down and it's a turnover, at least it's on the, you know, the, the eight or a seven. I mean, so you're pinning them back even more. And if it does succeed, you get seven points. So I think that the, the, I don't think why I don't understand why most teams don't do that, especially when you have a, a team against Kansas City where you have Mahomes and those options. You know, 98 yards really isn't that big of a deal for him when he can pretty much run the ball for, you know, 30, 40 yards at a time sometimes. So, I mean, where are you really winning at that point? Hey, if we get seven points, we get it. And if not, maybe we pin them and, and get lucky and, you know, make them fumble or, you know, get a stop and make them punt from inside their own end zone. I think that what we saw this weekend with, with the Bills and then again and with also with the Packers is kind of like the the same thing we talked about, John, during baseball se- season with the World Series when, you know, Tampa Bay's pitcher was pulled prematurely. It's something like that. It's like you're facing a situation where if you don't win this game, that's it. You're done with your season. So why play safe? It, it, I don't understand coaches who decide to again and over and over again, play it safe in a one and done situation where they could probably go home if they don't, you know, come up with these points. And I, and I agree with Corey. I think it would have been way better that if they, if they tried for the touchdown because they really needed that touchdown. And like you said, Patrick Mahomes would add 98 yards to work with. And it as good as Patrick Mahomes is, it gives the defense a lot more time to come up with a stop or possibly an interception or a fumble or what have you. So I, I it, it's frustrating to me, like see in these game situations where, you know, it's the playoffs that these coaches are still playing it as safe as they would in the regular season. And I think that's kind of one of the things that makes the difference between a head coach, a good head coach and a bad head coach is simply the fact is what are you willing to put on the line to make sure that your team gets a win. And I don't think Sean McDermott was able to put everything on the line for the win this weekend. And I think if you watched the um, NFL on CBS post game show after the AFC championship game, they said that the Buffalo bills were maybe ahead of schedule by a year or so. And that mm-hmm. this was a great learning experience to me. This is a very important off season for the Buffalo bills and Sean McDermott because they do have their number one receiver, Stephon Diggs. They have the quarterback of the future in Josh Allen. He had 287 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. To me, I think football is turning into a game now where you need to have two or three reliable pass catchers. That's what we're seeing in the Super Bowl um, next Sunday between Tampa Bay and Kansas City. They have two or three viable threats that you have to worry about. Whereas Buffalo, all they really had was Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley. I mean, Cole mm-hmm. Beasley, he was relevant, you know, five or six years ago. But if Cole Beasley is your leading receiver with 88 yards, to me, that's a problem. I think that's something the Buffalo Bills need to look at, be it in the draft or free agency, because I think the next few years it's going to be Miami and the uh, Buffalo Bills vying for the AFC's crown. No, that's right. I mean, finding a good receiver, obviously, if you're a Patriots fan, it's you either got lucked into it or, you know, you got gifted. You know, you, you're able to go out and get Randy Moss. I mean, that's pretty much how they've been. It, yeah. It's not easy to find, unless you're also the Pittsburgh Steelers who just seem to know how to draft receivers. Yeah. You're. It's tough, and they're going to have to give up some. They're going to have to pick, use some of their picks to go out there and try to, you know, to guess on one. 
but as much as Beasley is, you know, he's older and everything, he is that he is their Edelman. He's their guy that can get those yards, that those short yards, and they're going to have to rely on him a little bit more. But I, in terms of going there and getting them, I don't think it's that hard. You can go, you know, it, if you do commit the picks to it. But, um, yeah, maybe they are a year ahead, but I think they're even further along than that because the defense has shown up. They're just going to have to, you know, go out there and get a little bit younger, I think, on their defensive line. And just to go back to that um, comparison between the Bills and the Dolphins, a lot of mock drafts have the Miami Dolphins going out and drafting Devontae Smith, the standout wide receiver from Alabama that uh, went off for, I think it was, what, three touchdowns in the national championship mm-hmm. game. So it's that's bad. another weapon for the uh, Miami Dolphins. Um, going to the NFC Championship now as the Packers, um, well, I guess we can say they choked this game away off of an uh, Aaron Rodgers interception, Tom Brady passing a 39-yard bomb to Scotty Miller for the touchdown to go up 21-10 going into the halftime break. Uh, The Buccaneers do win 31-26. The Packers made it a little closer, but the one thing everybody's going to be talking about is that, you know, Hail Mary pass at the end of the first half Mm -hmm. from Tom Brady to Scotty Miller, Mary, because I have no idea what the Packers are doing defensively to yeah. me, I think you have maybe three along the defensive line and just have everyone back at the end zone. See, I, this is this is another thing that I just I, with that made me realize that this is one of those things that Tom Brady brings to a team that makes a difference because I don't think a lot of quarterbacks would have attempted to do something like that. And honestly, one of the people that I would have thought would have attempted to do something like that is Aaron Rodgers, but you know, the ball was in Brady's hands and that was a situation at the time. And, you know, like I said before, it's like the difference between a good coach and a bad coach is whether or not you make plays that are going to make a difference. And that was obviously one of those plays that makes a difference. But I think that in the moment that was more Tom Brady than anything else. I think that he saw how open Scotty Miller was and was like, well, if, if, if this is going to, if you're not going to even bother to protect him, why would I even try the to do, run the play that I was going to. And it was just an easy decision. And Tom Brady's, you know, it, Tom Brady was able to see that and make a decision on his feet. And I and I really think that's what happened. I don't think that that was a play that they were originally going to call. I don't think that was, obviously it wasn't what Green Bay was expecting because they were not even anywhere near Scotty Miller. But I, I just think that that was a, one of those intangible things that Tom Brady brings to a team that not many other quarterbacks do. I mean, I think the biggest story is the uh, Green Bay defense. How are you not in a prevent defense? How are you, you know, lining yeah. up a full defensive line? You have two ta- defensive tackles and two defensive ends, and nobody, you know, playing deep. You know, no, no safety. You know, extra safety that's out mm-hmm. there. You know, playing deep. I think that's the biggest story. I mean, obviously they're going to throw the ball deep, and with Tom Brady and what he did, you know, the rest of the game, and people will talk about how maybe he made some questionable throws. Yeah. I don't really think so though, because it was more like punting on third down. When you when the when he's gonna throw deep, when he's gonna throw deep and it gets intercepted, there's no really no difference in him them punting the ball and kind of putting themselves in a, a better spot defensively. So yeah. But if you're Tom Brady, I mean, let's not make it. I mean, obviously, if you're you could have got wide open like that, and nobody's gonna defend that route, that wheel route out. Tom Brady's been around. You you can't do that. So I mean, I, it obviously comes down to coaching, but. As as it comes down to like quarterback smartness, yeah, I guess so. I mean, 
He's been doing this a long time. You you have to bring your A game if you're a defensive coordinator going against Tom Brady. Like we were talking about, like rushing him. You have to make a move. You have to make him sweat a little bit. You can't yeah. let him sit in the pocket. He's going to pick you apart. Like mm-hmm. the guy's been doing this since, you know, 2000, 2001 in, in the NFL. The, the guy knows what he's doing. I would, I would like to even look into how many coaches that are in the NFL right now were even coaching in the NFL or college at that, you know, at that that year yeah. when he came in. Like he's been in here for a long, long, long time. Yeah. So you've got to come and bring you again. You have to think with Sean McVay. He's one of the younger coaches in the uh, NFL. He right. had probably been, what, he 15 or 16 when Tom yeah. Brady started. Right. So, I mean, like, even the coordinators, like, let's think about it. Like, you're going up against a guy that's probably going to win the win it all now. I mean, I mean, as long as the, you know, the, the Buccaneers defense keeps looking like a stud, you know, and yeah. they can keep Holmes at bay. But, I mean, you have Brady going into these games. These don't rattle him. The, it doesn't matter if it's mm-hmm. NFC, oh, no, AFC. No. Super Bowl, like he's he's unlocked the code, like he knows it. Like the game is so much slower for him. He doesn't make mistakes when he doesn't know that he has a really good chance of making a mistake. Like those, obviously those interceptions. One of them, maybe the tip, he was actually surprised about, didn't mean to do. But I think the other ones, he threw it up there. If he makes, you know, gets lucky, he gets lucky. If not, it's like punting on third down. Yeah. So Tom Brady is clearly made for moments like this. His uh, day, 20 of 36 passing, 280 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Chris Godwin, 110 yards receiving. Now, one team that I don't think is made for big moments is the Green Bay Packers because just like with the Buffalo Bills, there were some questions as far as what in the world the Packers are doing. Uh, Once they got inside of the uh, Tampa Bay Red Zone, they have Mason Crosby kicking a field goal with 237 to go or somewhere around there. There were still three timeouts for the Packers. And, yeah. I mean, you know, Grant said they'd have to go for two to tie the game up. But the field goal is made 31-26. Then for some reason on the kickoff, Tampa Bay return, man, he do- he goes ahead and slides down. With he gave, he gave him a fourth timeout. That's a yeah. bonus time. To me, yeah. four timeouts. Errors here at right. the end of this team. But I think the one thing everybody's going to be going back to is a decision to have Mason Crosby kicking a field goal because mm-hmm. the Green Bay offense was anemic for most of this game. I mean, the first quarter, they got really no positive plays until, you know, Valdez Scantling got a pass and got into the end zone. Tampa Bay's defense kept Aaron Rodgers in check. And I think just yeah. like with the Buffalo Bills, it was just so predictable what the Green Bay Packers were going to mm-hmm. do because it's Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones are bust. And Jones, he left the game with a chest injury. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it okay, now what? If you're a Green Bay Packers fan, to me, the Green Bay Packers needed to play this game like it was the NFC Championship game. If you go for a fourth down and you don't go in and you don't get in, okay, you, you know, that yes, it sucks, but you know, this is just waving the white flag having Green Bay yeah. kick a field goal with 237 left to go in the fourth quarter of the NFC Championship game. Well, I think, yeah, I think going into this game, Green Bay was just, it was Javante Adams or bust, right? right? Because it doesn't look like they had any other options that they had planned for. It was either, you know what I mean? Yeah. You need, they, their defense also, you know, nobody showed up. You, you do like Godwin have a day like that, and that's another guy that could go to buff, like we have to worry about because that's a, He's signing this year. He has to. He's up on his contract. If he went yeah. to Buffalo, I mean, that's the uh, the target, the the kind of guy they're looking for right there. And then you're gonna have to use a draft pick. So, 
<clears throat> it was Javante Adams or bust, and I don't think Rodgers really – I mean, we can talk about how he could have ran into the end zone and yeah. whatever. I I don't want to put that on him, though, because I think that's that comes down to his coach pretty much should have, you know, designed a play – to, to have that happen because they weren't they weren't watching him at all. That that play was open more than not yeah. more than once. And yeah. I think that that comes down to the coaching saying, Aaron, listen, drop back and do it a draw to the right because guess what? They don't they don't believe in your running. They don't they, they're treating you like you're just gonna sit back and have to. He, he can run. Yeah. Run. Look, the, the lane is open. Have some, have a tight end or something come off right. and be your fullback. And I don't think it. it I think that they dropped the ball, obviously, on multiple occasions. And they don't need us. You don't need us to, t- to tell you that. But I think that they need to kind of regroup and see if they can do it again with them. But I don't see Aaron Rodgers in a, you know, we'll talk about that afterwards, too, if he's going to be in a Green Bay uniform next year. I, I don't think, I, I think this is like, this game was a perfect microcosm of why Tom Brady is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. And I'm not talking about championships and how much either one of them have won. I'm talking about just your on-field ability to play the game. Because despite the fact that Tom Brady is a terrible runner, there are a couple of those times that Aaron Rodgers had that open route that even Tom Brady would have run instead of throwing the ball in that point. And he just, whether or not it's, He's making sure he constantly just listens to his coach about what the play should be or whether or not he just didn't have the ability to see that, which is insane because I think all of us are it and none of us are football players. So I I, I think one thing that Tom Brady has like always been better at is, well, this is this is what's going to work. I don't care what my coach is saying because this is what's going to work. And you can say what you want about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's relationship. I don't think Bill Belichick ever cared if Tom Brady was like, in this moment, this is what's going to work and this is what we're going to do because it always had positive results for the most part. And so that's what I think Aaron Rodgers lacks is just the ability to kind of be his own person and kind of be his own coach and tell himself, this is what's going to put my team over the top. So this is what I need to, this is the play that I need to make in this second, not what the guy in my earpiece is telling me to do. Right. He's not very improvisational when it comes to that part, but he does want to run his own offense. He has gone through multiple offensive coordinators, multiple head coaches because he couldn't get along with them. Well, but that's the problem. Yeah. He doesn't even get along with his own family. He's He's so obsessed. He's so obsessed with he wants to do what the coach is telling him. So he needs a coach that's going to tell him what he wants to be told. But at the end of the day, this coach is not a quarterback and he doesn't know the same details about this game that Aaron Rodgers does. He just doesn't. I mean, as good as a coach, you might say that Matt LaFleur is, he's not a good enough coach to coach someone with the talent that Aaron Rodgers has because Aaron Rodgers doesn't make up for the inability to coach for Matt LaFleur's part, like Tom Brady makes up for the lack of coaching that Bruce Arians has in Tampa Bay. Right. It's swagger pretty much, right? Like you're out there and you go, Hey, you know what? I don't care what you're saying. Even like, maybe even like to say like the LeBron factor. Yeah. But LeBron's play is to pass it to pass it to the right swing, pass to the left, look for the center down low. And then if it's not there, pass it back to him and shoot a three. If he has a wide open three, he's he's gonna shoot it. If he has a wide open lane to the to the hole, he's gonna jam it. Yeah. And what coach and what coach is gonna say, what the fuck? Like you know what I mean? Like he's gonna say, Oh, great, good idea, Aaron. Thanks for running that in. We didn't have anything open in the end zone, or we we were, you know, looking to throw maybe a pick. 
one throw it into the tenth row. You improvised. You got the touchdown. Right. So let me ask a grand scale question here: Is Aaron Rodgers overhyped? Because yes, this was a career no, year. He's probably that. gonna he's probably gonna win the MVP award. Yeah. But you look back at some of his past statistical years. I mean, the touchdown numbers aren't terribly impressive. The yardage numbers aren't terribly impressive to me with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Do I think he caught the Patriots? Probably. But I think with Aaron Rodgers, it's a case of a lot of smoke, but mm -hmm. not a lot of fire there because I mean, granted we've been spoiled with watching number 12 play for the past 20 years. But yeah. to me, when you talk about the top quarterbacks in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers isn't in the top five, right? He's borderline a top 10 quarterback. And here are a lot of people you know, on network television, on cable, sports television, you know, treating this guy like he is a top three, top four quarterback. Mm -hmm. When you look at his numbers at Lambeau Field in the playoffs and he's under 500 and it's it's like he's a playoff bust yeah. as a quarterback. Yeah, I don't think he makes people shake in their boots, but I mean, I don't think he's not, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. Like, is that what you're saying? Like, and that comes down to the playoffs. I mean, yeah, like overhyped. Like, do we hype right, this up no, so no, much no, he can't yeah. live up to the expectations? Right. Oh, well, he's only been to one NFC Championship game. You know, him. There's a thing right, right at. No, the won it though. I mean, oh, he's right. only won yeah. one. He's like the yeah. same thing right. as Tom Brady at the like at the end. Like him, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers have all had the same amount of NFC Championship wins. Yeah. It, it's true. It, it that is sad when you think about it. He's only won it once. And he's been in this thing for, you know, however many years. Right. He's been in a lot. You don't even have to know the year. You just look at his helmet. He rates to wear the old Riddell helmet. Yeah. I think it's only him, Tom Brady, and like a kicker that rated to wear that old helmet that they don't have to wear the new Revolution helmet or whatever helmet they I think have to it was, wear. I think it was Venetari, and he's not even in the league anymore. Maybe, yeah, maybe it was Venetari. I, yeah. I couldn't even remember remember who else it was but it was him and Aaron Rodgers that still rated to wear the old helmet so it, it, to think about it if he's been around that long you've only went to one Super Bowl I think you have you have to think yeah maybe he is overrated I don't, I don't like to think that though because I think this court that the NFL kind of lacks the I mean maybe it's getting a little bit better now we have Mahomes you have Al, you know but I think when you go back to it you you only you had those battles between Brady and and Manning and yeah you you want to hope that there's more good quarterbacks out there than mm -hmm. just Tom Brady in the past 15 right. 20 years yeah but when you look at the numbers yeah I guess you're right when you break it down by Rogers numbers yeah it is he, maybe he isn't that great but you know what hey it is what it is I mean Green Bay's kept him around but maybe he's just good enough to keep but not good enough to replace so. Right. They did go out and draft a quarterback in the first round. So, so, that leads, so that leads me to the next question here, Mary. Did we see the last Green Bay Packers game with Aaron Rodgers as a starting quarterback? No, I, I, I don't think we did because, I mean, even he's already started to kind of walk back what he's been saying. Um, I mean, he – he said in his like last press conference after the NFC championship game that he didn't know if he would be back. And then when talking to Pat McAfee, it was like, Oh, maybe I won't be back, but probably I'll be back. So I, I think he was just really angry after losing that game because, you know, he spent so many years in the NFC trying to be the best quarterback there. And Tom Brady walked in and took that all away from him in, in the course of 60 minutes. So I think 
you know, he was just probably aggravated. You know, he has the presence of, of I think it's Jordan Love that they drafted last year uh, behind mm-hmm. him, kind of pushing him out, kind of in the way Jimmy Garoppolo did to Brady at you know, back in the day before they got rid of Garoppolo. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it nags at you. And there, and he probably walked up to that podium, aggravated about how the game turned out, not thrilled with the coaching decisions like anyone else was watching that game and thinking, oh, you've got the next guy. Maybe I'll go out here and say, I'm probably not going to be back next year. Just to, just to, because he was angry. And, you know, and that's kind of one of those things with those after game press conferences when you lose, it's because you're so, the emotions kind of take over your answers. So I think it was, I think he was kind of bluffing a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't think that he'll be anywhere else with the Packers until he retires. But I, you know, I don't know how long it'll be until he retires. I'm sure he's going to want to try to win another Super Bowl. But at this point, if he stays with the Packers and Brady stays in the NFC, I don't think it's going to be possible for him to get to another Super Bowl. So I, I disagree in the fact that because you can make the comparison to like the Garoppolo Brady years, and they both want money. You forget like right. he's gone to a contract yeah. year, and that's where they have a difference. And I think Green Bay, then you have in New England and, and multiple other right. cities or other franchises, they don't have an owner. They don't have that. They have that one guy that changes. That's like the the head of the the pack there. Yeah. But there's no guy to sit down and say, no, this is what we're doing. We're giving him this money and whatever. I think he's probably going to end up in like a San Francisco where they don't have a quarterback, but they need a quarterback that there's a couple other pieces that I think that they would be an instant contender if he did go to to like a San Francisco. Right. Even Chicago, but I don't think he would end up going there. That's a a huge rivalry thing. They'd end up you know, yeah. assassinating him if he went there. Right. So I think he can go to a San Francisco that's like a new look. It's kind of the Brady effect, right? Like, yeah. I think he's getting to the frustrating part in Green Bay where he wants the money, he wants the pieces. He, he's too in, in deep with them where it's like there's no real changes that are going to happen because yeah. they don't suck. But they're not good at you know what I mean. Right. If he goes to a new place, it's a fresh start, it's a new scenery, new fans, kind of new boost on life. And I think that's what he kind of needs. I think that'd be right. the best thing for him if he did go to a San Francisco and he had a new start. He got paid and yeah. and could kind of get a restart. I mean, you know. I'm all for I'm all for Aaron Rodgers going to San Francisco. One because the storyline around it would obviously be interesting because that was you know a big deal when Rodgers got drafted that he wanted to go to the 49ers and the 49ers passed on him. And not only that, but if if the 49ers are going to go after Aaron Rodgers, that means Jimmy Garoppolo is open to come back to New England, and I wouldn't yeah, hate that's that. Another point I was make so, that. Obvi- so that would be obviously sure. kind of a a win win situation. My only thing is. You know, I think let's go back to the the LeBron analogy for a second. You know, Tom Brady is kind of like that LeBron figure in the NFL where wherever he goes, he's taking over this situation. And now we saw it in basketball, you know, all of these these players, Kevin Durant, James Harden, go getting out of the Western Conference to go to the Eastern Conference so that they didn't have to worry about dealing with LeBron until the championship game. Now, I think if Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay that he's going to go to the AFC and do the same thing because he knows that he's not going to be able to get past Tom Brady in the, in the same conference 
unless they can face off in a, unless they can go to a Super Bowl against each other. So I think that if if Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay, he's better off in an AFC team. Well, I think if he goes to the AFC, I think there's really uh, what teams he going to go to. I mean, what, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know. what is he going to come to the Patriots? I don't think that would be a good thing either. Well, I think, what about what about the Texans? Maybe, but they don't have coaching there yet. They don't have yeah, an, an established program. And I think he wants to go to that. I think he's sick yeah. of dealing with the shit with new coaches, new programs. How many offenses has he run in the past, you know, yeah. 10, 15 years? So then it kind of, if you look at that, he wants good coaching, wants an established program. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? That looks like a New England, right? Right, yeah. But I think that's like throwing oil on a on a kitchen fire yeah, when it comes no, it to, be to Belichick because you kind of have the, the, the best, best of two worlds there, right? You have the established program, the established ownership, the established thing, but then you have the egotistical coach right. and the egotistical you know, quarterback. That's how, how do you make fire? You have three components, right? right. You have oxygen, you know, the combustible yeah. and the product. And I think that's how you that's how you start a huge fire. Right. Oh yeah. Now does that fire go towards a victory in a Super Bowl against Brady, or does that turn into just what about what about Pittsburgh? Because there's not a real answer about Ben Roethlisberger's future at this point, and they I don't mean, really have the, the next guy. Right? I think that's a good that's a good option too. But does he have the pieces that he has? He has the receivers. Yeah. The coaching does he respect Tomlin? Does he respect? Yeah. That kind of program, maybe, maybe that is the best option for him. Does he want to go back and play in the cold? You know, he's done it for years. Yeah. I think San Francisco is the best option where it's just mm-hmm. in terms of getting out of the same realm of, you know, the, the whole north, the, the whole cold and old franchise. But I mean, if you did yeah. want to say AFC, I think probably Pittsburgh's probably your best option. But I think you look at New England, I think that has everything he wants and everything he doesn't all wrapped in one. Yeah. Oh, I agree. It would be a nightmare if he ended up right. in New England. So. so I would be more in line to agree with Mary in saying that he's coming back next year. Uh, first of all, look at this from a financial standpoint here, and we can say that sports money doesn't really count in the NFL. But Aaron Rodgers is due to make close to $38 million next year, and if he doesn't opt out of his contract in 2022, he'll be due – just under $40 million. That's a lot of money for someone to try and trade for. Or if he gets yeah. out of that contract, go ahead and sign with the team. Now, right. But I think that's, but that's where you have to have an owner that kind of steps and puts his foot down and says, right. well, listen, if we're going to co- commit what $60 million to this guy over the next two, three years, what the hell did we sign with? What, what the hell did we draft? love for why do we go out and get a quarterback in the first round that's that's eddie that's that's where it comes down you need to have a guy that steps on someone's throat and says why did we do that why are why are we doing why are we making decisions like this right and that's when you have nobody making that like yeah you're right if he is due to make that and he does sign the contract or an extension well then what the hell are you doing when you do need that piece that second receiver that maybe a, a big playmaker on defense. Why are you wasting a first-round pick on a quarterback? I get right. it. Like Aaron Rodgers could could walk away at any moment, and that would be it. And you don't want to be the Patriots where you're you're searching for the next guy. I get yeah. it. But you already screwed yourself now because you don't have that piece, and that could have helped you in this game. Right. You could have had a, a, 
another receiver that could have helped you in this game. Right. But no, you get a guy holding a clipboard on the sideline. I also feel like if they if their whole their whole reasoning behind drafting Jordan Love was simply because Aaron Rodgers could walk at any time. You could have used a second or a third round pick on that guy. Absolutely. I mean, Rodgers made it perfectly clear during the draft last year what he thought about them drafting a quarterback in the first round instead of a skill position player, another running back or another receiver. So I I agree. I think whatever decision was made in Green Bay, they need to either get rid of Rodgers right now or they need to trade love for some kind of piece that's going to let Rodgers win another or try to win another Super Bowl. But I, I don't think you're going to get the return on love that you would want because he didn't play. Yeah. There's really no stats on him besides right. his college stats, which means shit, really. Uh, because we see that all the time. How many times you guys get drafted in the first round and that their college stats, it doesn't add up to the pro stats right. so, but i mean the same that's I, the same thing with jimmy garoppolo because what did he play three games maybe in the nfl before the 49ers took him and then right. went to a super bowl with him no that's a good point but i think more times than not when you have a court don't don't forget he, he left new england right he didn't get traded i think when garoppolo you have a guy, got traded no he did but what i'm saying with his contract and everything yeah he went there and they redid everything that was off of they didn't trade for that contract i think with the first when you have a guy like Love, you're, you're going up there and you're, getting, you're going to have to pay him, though. I think when they first get him, though, they, they, I don't they think have so. a rookie contract. I don't think quarterbacks are a big deal in this league. And franchise-wise, like – Right, but, 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 like, but going back to your point about him not having any stats in the NFL, he has no leg to stand on to get a new contract. Right. It's like the used car effect, kind of, right? Like – you draft them in the first round. If they don't produce in their first year and they don't have the numbers, then they're pretty much useless, pretty much. It, worthless, more or less. Not, yeah, in terms of getting a quarterback that's decent, but that you're not going to give up a first-round pick for him. Like, it, I don't think you're going to get any return on him that you need for, for the next couple of years if you're going to keep Rodgers. And he's old. Like, he's an older quarterback. Like, I don't know if you want to hit, hit your wagon to – you know, the car with 100,000 miles on it and instead of going out there and trying to start, you know, a brand new quarterback that you just started, the new car. I don't know. Yeah. Depends on what they want. I don't know. It, we'll see in the next couple of weeks, but I don't think Green Bay knows what they want. Yeah. So there are a couple of names that have been discussed on um, numerous sports radio stations and on TV as well. Uh, the first one is Matthew Stafford, as he is apparently seeking a trade from the Detroit Lions. And I think a lot of Anytime we talk about these quarterbacks here, you have to wonder how they're going to mesh. In, in the case of the Patriots, how do they mesh with the tools that the Patriots have right now? Because we talked about this in the past. The Patriots don't have tools. Their best receivers are Nikhil Harry, Jacoby mm-hmm. Myers, Demir Bird. We don't know about Julian Edelman. Uh, you have James White as basically a glorified slot receiver, and you really don't have a good running game. To me, I don't think Matthew Stafford fits into the Patriots system. I don't think he wants to come here. I don't think he wants to come to basically a glorified Detroit Lions as far as offensive presence is concerned. Um, To me, I think a Matthew Stafford maybe would be good for a Cincinnati Bengals uh, job because he needs that proven contract. Go out there, play for the Bengals next year, try and get them to the playoffs. They do have some Higgins. What and, happened um, to Joe Burrow, though? What Burrow, do you do? What though, like, why would yeah. you put him well, down? Though? Well, he's not. I don't think Joe Burrow is going to come back as a comparable starter until 
you know, maybe what week 11, week 12 next year after that knee injury that he suffered in Washington. There's absolutely no way that the Bengals use the first overall pick to draft Joe Burrows just to go waste money on Matthew Stafford for one year. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, no, Burrow is in, Burrow's not playing next year. Not, I mean, I don't think he's going to be out the full year. He might be out the first couple of weeks, but I don't think that he'll be out for a full year. I mean, just the way I looked at it, it looked like that was an injury that you're probably talking about a year. But I mean, I mean, he's up and he's up and walk working out already. So I don't I wouldn't be too surprised if he comes back next season at some point. I mean, you, I mean, regardless of if, if Burrow comes back in the first six weeks or he doesn't come back at all. I think getting, you know, giving up that pick just to get a, you know, a Stafford. I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's. That's what they need. I think they can go out there and get someone. Someone if, watch. Yeah. Because if that's if that's the case, if they're just looking for someone to to substitute while Joe Burrow gets better, they go after Ryan Fitzpatrick or Cam Newton because those are the that's the tier of quarterback that would be someone to you know stand in for a little while while your first round pick. Well, I'm taking Fitz. I mean, Fitzy over freaking Newton. I know, no, but what I'm just saying, you don't take you don't take someone of Matthew. You don't take someone (laughs) of Matthew Stafford's contract or talent to just be a fill-in guy. It it, that's that's insane. Now you're giving up a first-round pick when you do need more pieces in Cincinnati. I think even even if Burrow wasn't gonna come back this year, like he had like a like a an Alex Smith injury where he was going to be out for a while. Yeah. I, I don't think you, I think you still hit your wagon to the, to what the film that you did get on him. He yeah. is going to be your guy. He's going to be your guy for the next couple of years. Is he going to win a Super Bowl right away? Probably not, but he, especially with the injury, but like, right. I think mean, he's a guy that you want to work with. Yeah. Stafford's at that point now where, like you said, I don't think he wants to come to a new England. Like, right. You don't have a proven receiver. Everyone says, Oh, you got Edelman, but he's, no better than Justin Pedro- Dustin Pedroia right now. I don't think right. like uh, those are old guys that are just you know Dudley Do Rights that go out there and they play <laughs> their asses off, but they're not. But there's no there's no future with them. You hope that you right. get a couple more catches from Edelman. You hope you get maybe another home run for you know Pedroia to to go out on. But you right. don't have a future with those guys. So I don't even yeah. put those guys in the equation. You look at what you have on your roster. That's viable. So the other big quarterback news actually, um, I guess you could say, broke before we record this podcast. Mm-hmm. And this is something a lot of people have seen coming. That is Deshaun Watson formally or formally asking for a trade from the Houston Texans. This is something he apparently already requested uh, a few weeks ago. But it looks like he's not going to be the Houston Texans quarterback to start the 2021 season. There are some rumors about some destinations he could go to that are very familiar to Patriots fans. One being Miami and one being the New York Jets. So yeah. maybe there's a bit of a carousel situation here when we talk about the starting quarterback situation among those three teams in the AFC East. Uh, if Deshaun Watson goes to Miami or the Jets, that obviously takes one quarterback off the roster, be it Sam Darnold in the in, um, New York or um, Ryan Fitzpatrick or to a Tagovailoa, one of those quarterbacks, they're probably yeah. going to lose out here. So if you're the Patriots, do you look at either one of those quarterbacks or even Deshaun Watson if you do have the capital to try well, and tr- trade for? I would assume that if they're going to trade Deshaun Watson to 
Miami, they're going to want Tua in return in that trade because I unless unless they're eyeing somebody in the draft. Because yeah, but they could be eyeing someone in the draft. I mean, obviously, the Miami would be would make sense for Houston because Miami has Houston's draft pick this this year in the first round. So obviously, it would be nice for Houston to get that draft pick back in order to to draft a quarterback. But I, I don't know. I mean, I can't even think of who who is the the Texans backup quarterback right now like I would want to trade for a quarterback no matter what if I'm giving up a franchise a young franchise quarterback in a trade because even if they do draft someone the first round they're going to need someone to be established in that system they can't have you know they can't get some random backup AJ McCarron or Josh McCown I was literally going to say they can't just go out and grab a Josh McCowan (laughs) and expect him to be okay to wait for this for this other guy to be ready i guess they already have josh mccowan though so maybe it's fine i just think that there's absolutely no way in hell that houston doesn't try to ask for a quarterback in return for deshaun watson if it's miami now sam darnold might be another story because i don't think sam darnold's ever going to be a a successful quarterback in this league and if the case is that they don't want sam darnold i don't want him on the patriots either the guy runs scared constantly he hasn't been able to make a good decision on the field once in his career so i i want nothing to do with sam darnold like john like john luck running running at the ice cream truck as a kid <laughs> running scared just hopefully those are some good ice cream sandwiches <laughs> in the ice cream truck okay until he stopped short. Yeah, that was my fault. Yeah, I ran into a couple ice cream trucks. But the problem is, yeah, you don't want to see him, Donald. I don't think there's any good trade. Like, when it, those two teams, like the Jets and Miami, like, there's nothing that they can offer, except for the, the, the pick, that they can offer the Texans. Like, I, I get it. Like, he wants out of Houston. But – I think his best option is to go to Miami. I think those are the only ones that mm-hmm. they're yeah. the only ones that have a, a future and maybe winning. They have a good head coach. They did some things last year, but I don't see where this this ends where it ends good for either, either team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe Miami. That's the only. But what is? But what do the Texans get out of the Jets besides maybe a see, good? That's pick? a good question because the but Jets don't have anything. Right. So, like, I get it. Maybe he wants to go to New York. That's his thing. But if I'm if I'm the Texans, I tell him to go, you know, suck bricks. Like, if like if I tell the Deshaun, like, I'm not sending you to New York just because you want to go live the lifestyle of, of a New Yorker, or you know what I mean? Like, right. Well, you want the media attention. Like, you're going to Miami, and even so, they're getting Tua, who's got minimal stats in the NFL. Who's mm-hmm. I, I just and then they have that pick, but. Picks mean nothing though to me. Like that, like even you know Trevor Lawrence. Like who knows? He could suck. Like he could be yeah. the next McMillan. He could be the next Brady Quinn. He could be the next guy that doesn't really mean anything. That mm-hmm. comes from a college style offense. That's you know, that's such a an easy thing for a quarterback. To a lot of running. A lot of you know trick plays. Does that does that show in the NFL? So I, I don't I don't know if that really they have a leg to stand on when it comes to trading them. Well, for the Houston Texans, there's no place to go but up. We keep talking about all these offensive weapons that different teams have. And, yes, Houston does have Will Fuller, but 
they have Brandon Cooks and Kiki Cutie as their other two receivers. To me, that's not a winning football team, regardless mm-hmm. of what quarterback you put there. You had Deshaun Watson there, and they and put DeAndre together Hopkins at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you unless your coach wants to go ahead and just completely screw the franchise over, that's one and that's thing. exactly what he did. But this isn't going to be a quick fix here. To me, if you're the Houston Texans, this is kind of like, um, you know, put it into basketball terms, how Danny Ainge operated after the big three, accumulating a bunch of draft picks here and trying to get something to stick because regardless of what quarterback you put there, you could put Tom Brady there. The Houston Texans aren't going to the playoffs. This is going to be easily a three- to five-year project. And, yes, some of it could start with the quarterback, but to me I think more valuable is the picks that you could acquire – especially if you trade Deshaun Watson to a New York Jets-style team just because of how the Jets are going to finish, not just right. this year, but next year. The following year, if you go ahead and get a first-round pick or a second-round pick, then I think that's a step in the right direction because you can get a good receiver, a first-round talent in the early second round. But it, but if I'm Deshaun Watson, why the hell would I want to go from one shit team to another? Like, right. I don't see where he can get anything out of besides living in New York. Or yeah. I'm guessing that's why he wants to go there because nobody wants to go to the Jets. Like, why would he want? Like, he, the only reason he would want to go there is for some sort of media contract, or maybe he wants to live in the city. Why would you want to go from Texas where it's warm? Yeah. It's football. Football is God there. Yeah, and go to a big city where. You have to uproot your family. I don't know if he has kids or anything, but why would you want to move the them to, you know, to the city? I mean, I know they play in New Jersey, but why would you? But they all live in the city. Why would you want to uproot your whole life just to go to New York when you have kind of like a quarterback stream where you're God down there? You could you have a, a new facility. You have, you know, I, I mean the fans that love you. I don't get what, what's, what does he gain out of this yeah. besides getting out of a team that lost a head coach and they're bringing in a new program, unless he's worried yeah. about that. I, I don't, I don't get it. Like you're not gaining anything by going to New York. I, I don't get it. Well, I think when he signed with Houston, I think ultimately what he was looking for is a say in how the team operates. He wants to say in the coaches they hire, he wants to say in the free agents they acquire, he wanted basically the Tom Brady treatment that he has in Tampa Bay right now. He wanted that signed his mega extension. But is that going to be in the, is that going to be a clause in this trade? Like, okay, you know what? Yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be a, a an, an un, he's going to be a, an owner in this. Like, is he going to have a piece of the pie? Like, but that's another, another thing getting, is they just hired a coach in New York. So, is this coach going to be satisfactory to him? Like, I think Brian Flores would be a satisfactory coach to Deshaun Watson right now. But I don't, like, I, I couldn't tell you if it, the guy that they Jets hired right. would be someone, Is it maybe that was who Deshaun wanted them to hire in Houston, and they didn't end up, they, they took too long, and the Jets hired him first. Unless ultimately he wanted the Texans to go out and not just interview Eric B but he wanted them to hire Eric B yeah. the offensive coordinator from the Kansas city chiefs, because the jets, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, they signed Robert Sala, the defensive yeah. coordinator from San Francisco. And I think the Texans signed the Baltimore Ravens passing coach or one of the offensive Something assistant like coaches yeah. as a head coach. So not really a desirable um, destination either way. Uh, but we'll, I mean, I just, you know what, I, I let, let's take a second to 
feel bad for the fa- sports fans in Houston. I mean, their baseball team's a bunch of cheaters. They lost Harden. They're about to lose uh, Deshaun Watson. What do they have there anymore? Well, the Red Sox were kind of cheating in 2018. Okay. This well. has nothing to do with the Red Sox. We're talking about we Houston. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, but I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about But while, while the Red Sox... I know, I know. I know. Alex Alex the Red Sox name. Never mind, I won't speak again about baseball with two of you jumping no, I, down I, my throat. I, yeah, you know me. I I love everybody. But but, sure. it, but, like, but, that, but then like let's go back to Aaron Rodgers too. Like it would he go you know what I mean? Like they're getting rid of Watson. Do you then go and try to make a trade with Green Bay? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's it's, another it's, another it's, interesting team to watch out for I, is the Cowboys I, because the Cowboys have not made a decision about Dak Prescott yet. I don't think you do for the next for the next couple of weeks. But they but they'd be screwed because. But what, but what are you going to do? Like you're not going to go out there and sign someone right now, right? Like you're not going to go and say, okay, well we got to go out and make a trade for Watson, or we have to go out there and, and draft someone. But then Dak Prescott, Prescott's leg is great. But the it's thing about the but the thing is that Dak Prescott is a free agent. He is, but nobody's going to make a move on him right now. Yeah, but I don't think the Cowboys want to make a move on him. That's Absolutely my thing. Not. But I don't I think it's such an un. un but the yeah, problem is, if form. if they wait too long, they're going to end up like New England did this year, and the last guy left is who they're left with as a quarterback. But I think he loves the Cowboys. I think he's going to listen to whatever, like like a Tom Brady, like he's willing to take a hometown listen at least. I don't think he is. Cowboys. I really not don't because. Time. But he's going to listen to them, though. They because haven't. They've been, they've been trying to come up with a contract for him for two years, and, and they just keep franchise tagging him instead. Right. But so I, that's I, why I just I don't think that he's going to take a hometown discount just to say with the Cowboys. Not, not a hometown discount, but just like a hometown listen. Like, he's not going to be like, oh, well, I'm going to listen to them third. I think he has, a, he has a special place in his art for the Cowboys, and I think he wants to listen to them, and I think he wants to play for them. Because where else is he going to go? I don't know. New England, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. But they, they, then he goes into that shit show. So I think being a quarterback, I think the NFL, the NFL has an upper hand on quarterbacks a little bit right now because yeah. there's so few destinations. Yeah. So if you're a, a Deshaun Watson, like, I, I mean, not just, yeah, Deshaun, I mean, uh, Dak, Dak Prescott, where do you go? I mean, do you go to another shit, do you go to a shit team or do you stay with, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, excuse me, I'm having a meltdown, having a mild stroke. Do you stay with him and try to work with the team? They just got a new coach and it seemed like he liked him a little bit. Do you stay in Dallas and try to work there? Mm-hmm. Or do you go out into the unknown and see if you can do something, you know, in a Miami or maybe, you know, in a Green Bay or, you know, even San Francisco? But I think you have to listen to Dallas first and you have to listen yeah. to their contract and what they want to offer you. Because they did put up with you after the injury. They did try to help you out. They nursed you and whatever. But, like, I think that's a big thing. I mean, he has a special place in his heart for Dallas, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just think that it's something that is going to end up I, – I think the situation in Dallas, no matter how it turns out, is going to end up throwing kind of like a, a grenade into the quarterback free agent market at some point. By signing Dak Prescott or by not, not- – 
just by i think i think if they wait too long and then make some kind of crazy trade then everyone's like oh i shouldn't have done this because now dak prescott's available or if other teams have been hanging on to see if dak prescott becomes available and then he ends up signing with the cowboys anyways i think it's going to cause trouble for the right i i think it's going to end up causing trouble for the quarterback market oh yeah which is also very it's it's all very you know, iffy right now where, where it's going to go because yeah. you don't know who's going to get traded, who's going to get moved. It, it, it's it's big right now. It, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be a, a general manager. All right, let's let's uh, switch gears now from football to hockey. Yes, we're actually talking hockey again. As the uh, Boston Bruins started the season off losing two of the first three, not scoring a five-on-five goal until yeah. the fourth game of the season, but. Uh, games four, five, and six of the regular season, all of a sudden they seem to actually figure out how to put the puck in the back of the net, yeah. uh, beating the Flyers in back-to-back games, including a 5-4 shootout victory in one of the best periods of hockey I've seen in a yeah. long time. And then oh, they just beat the Pittsburgh Penguins 3-2 in overtime back on uh, Tuesday night here. So why did this turn around so quickly? Because after the game against the Islanders, Mary, it looked like this – this Bruins team was ready to start to kind of collapse on itself here yeah. because don't forget they didn't have David Pasternak. Right. It wasn't pretty. I mean, their offense at the beginning of the season was stagnant. They just weren't able to come up with anything. And, and you know, Bergeron and Martian each had a goal, but it was one of those things that was like, oh, yeah, of course they're going to have at least one goal. But they weren't really playing up to what they usually are. And, you know, I think it might just be the fact that there was no, there's no preseason and they didn't really have too much time to get ready for this season. And I think what need what happened was they needed to work out some kinks that they weren't able to do because there was no offense. I'm sorry, no, no preseason. And, and after the first couple of games, whatever it was that they had issues with, they fixed and and now things are better. My worry about them is just their their inability to hold a lead and how many times they're going to go to overtime to have to win a game because it's a shortened season and the games are going to happen a lot quicker come soon in order to complete the season before they go to the playoffs. And I'm worried that they're going to end up tiring themselves out, especially Tuka Rask, if they keep going into overtime to have to win a game. Right, exactly. And I mean, I like, to bring back the the Pasternak thing too is, you know, he does score a lot of goals. He, you know, yeah. he's he's one of those guys. But is he going to step up as a leader? And that's what a lot of people right. are talking about too. You know, you don't have Chara anymore, and he's kind of been that face since everybody that's on the team right now has been there, right? Yeah. Like even Except Bergeron. For Bergeron. Been, right. No, they, they, Bergeron they, was there before, but. But exactly. So who's going to step up and kind of control this team mm-hmm. and and make it count when it comes into later parts of the games and step up and be that big presence? I don't think you yeah. have it. I think you have to get you have to score more points. I think your defense is young yeah. and you have to you have to be a big scoring team. So that mm-hmm. comes down to passing that and coming up and, and actually playing. And there's been a lot of talks how he's more of a, a jokester and a kid and is he going to really step up and be a you know and get an A on his uniform at some point? Right. And it doesn't you know and it doesn't look like it right now. But who knows? Right. Like you said, this is a shortened season. I think someone needs to sit him down and say, "Listen, we need everything we can from you now. We don't want to wait until the playoffs." Right. And 
Right, it's shortened, so we'll see. But I think he needs to he needs to be the guy that needs to mature and I'm, grow up. I'm I'm hoping his impending fatherhood would ho will help him mature off the ice enough to mature on the ice. That's my that's my hope. Yeah, well, I, we all hope for that, but who knows? So I think when we talk about David Poshnok, yes, that's something to look at. But I think at the start of the season, one big item was how are some of these younger players that have been in Providence for a long time and overseas, how are they right. going to help out the roster here? Because you look at this third line forwards that the Bruins usually have, yeah. uh, Frederick, Lindholm, Stednicka, or Stadnika. To me, that's not really a line that should scare a lot of teams, much less the mm -hmm. Pittsburgh Penguins and the yeah. Washington Capitals. Um, to me, this is a truly two-line hockey team. And if you can get some scoring out of the fourth line, I guess it helps you out a little bit. But to me, this right. is all about how the youth of this team can help out. Because like you said, there was no uh, training camp, really. There was no mm -hmm. preseason to get things going here. These younger players are trying to figure into their roles as time goes on here in the season, which is unfortunate because you're only playing, what, seven or eight teams on your schedule here. Right. And I kind of wonder, going back to that Flyers game I was talking about with that insane third period, the yeah. Bruins were down 2 nothing going into that second intermission. Did yeah. Bruce Cassidy have kind of a fear of God speech in that locker yeah. room where he starts kicking stuff over? Because, I mean, I'm not a true hockey fan here, but mm -hmm. I, I mean – seeing the team down two nothing and not scoring a five on five goal in game until game four of the regular season. Yeah. To me, that's enough to go ahead and kick a chair over in the locker room. I mean, I'm sure that's it. And you know, I think Bruce Cassidy as mild mannered as he is like in front of the media and on the bench. I think that he probably has the ability to let his temper get the better of him while he's in the locker room with his team. I also, th I also don't know if I think this, but what one of the things that I hope is that maybe Bergeron had something to do with it. You know, I think he spent the entirety of his career deferring to Chara to be the captain of this team and be the leader of this team. And I think at some point it kicked into him and was like, oh, I have to be the person that does this now. It's my it's my opportunity. Not to say that Bergeron wasn't a leader on the team before, but I think he realizes that, that it has to be to a different extent to what he was doing before. And I even think that at this point, Brad Marchand has matured enough as a person and as a player to be kind of that per the, the person that gets in his teammates' faces and yells and be like, you need to fix this. We all need to fix this. Like, the, something has to change. So, you know, that's one of the good things about the way that this Bruins team is structured right now. It's all mostly for the most part, young guys, but with these couple of older guys that have been here for so long that they are able to hopefully, you know, exemplify what leadership really has to be. So that when they do eventually go, these younger guys can become them and that this Bruins team can continue to evolve and not end up falling down a lot just because Bergeron and Marchand eventually retire. All right, let's um, transition to baseball now as we are just covering all Finally. of What's that? Finally. I, I know that's your sport. I mean, oh, Mary's yeah, a big okay. yeah. Red Sox fan, so that's um, why I bring it up. Incorrect. Uh, so she shows up for the hot dogs and ice cream in a cup. I don't even like hot dogs, so. And if I'm going to get ice cream at Fenway Park, it's going to be one of those hat things. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly hat. what he said. <laughs> yeah. Pink hat with sprinkles on it. Uh, so for the first time in a few years here, Major League Baseball and their writers didn't submit anybody into the Hall of Fame. Uh, nobody 
made the uh, percent level to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And one person who had a bit of an issue with that was Kurt Schilling, who went <laughs> off on reporters saying that he wanted his name pulled oh, okay. from uh, BBWAA consideration for the Hall of Fame. He wanted the Players Veterans Council to go ahead and vote for him and all that. He kind of went off on everybody here, Corey, and it was kind of a meltdown for Kurt Schilling. And I don't think it really helped his image much um, going off the way he did. No, I, I, he's one of those guys that, look, baseball players and, and athletes in general, usually, they're kind of better, you know, seen and not heard when they're retired. Like, you hope you see them, you know, doing some charity work or, you know, maybe they, they're in a couple commercials. But this guy's done nothing but put himself, and like he like his 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 faults have kind of been overshadowed everything that he did. Yeah. In the major, you know, in in the professional light, like the the sock game, you know, the the, the numerous playoff games, and just being a, a dominant pitcher, whether it be for Arizona, Philadelphia, where he spent a lot of his time, or the last years in Boston. This guy just needs to shut the hell up. Like oh, yeah. he failed. He like he failed as a, a video game, whatever he was, like part owner. And then now he hitches his wagon to Donald Trump. And not the good part, like just like the, the worst parts of Donald Trump, he seemed to get into Twitter battles with these Twitter bitches out there, twi Twitter queens, and just make himself look like a complete ass. This guy needs to focus on himself. Yeah. And on his family, his wife ha has had cancer multiple times. There's multiple t things going on in his own family. And this guy should be a shoe-in in the Hall of Fame, just with the sock game alone. And this guy is just going out there and putting sour, being sour milk to all these uh, these writers that should be going out there voting for him and being a good story and going in there with probably the Red Sox hat where he won a World Series yeah. In, in dramatic fashion or with any team, he should be a, a Hall of Fame player. I don't think there's any questions about that. I don't have the stats in front of me, but Kurt Schilling is a, is a Hall of Fame pitcher. But, so, but with all his but with all his other antics, he's yeah. making it hard to vote for him. And he's getting close. What was he, 16 or 17 points shy? Something like he's that, He's yeah. close. But it's those those other idiotic things that he does, mm -hmm. that other bullshit crap that he has to put into the into – the, the, the mix that's taking him out of it. And, and if I'm a, a major league pitcher, that's what I want. That's the ultimate goal is to become a, a hall of famer. And all he just needs to do is shut up. Yeah. I, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say he was 4% shy of the 75% threshold. He finished with 71.1% uh, of the uh, ballot votes. So I, I, you know, I'm not someone who normally judges athletes when it comes to like, you know, like what, how they perform on the field or on the court or on the ice or whatever, what have you, you know, based on what they do off of the field. I mean, there are obviously some exceptions, people who have been, you know, domestic abusers or rapists and athletes like that. Like it's hard to separate the bad things that they do from how they play on the field when it comes to things like that. And, you know, politics aside, you know, it's not like Kurt Schilling hadn't done anything like completely horrible until I saw, you know, I think it was on sports radio. Someone was talking about it. Something I didn't know about him going on Twitter to refer to survivors of the Sandy hook 
school shooting as actors and that they were playing this up. And I was like, that was a bunch of six-year-olds that were murdered. You don't go on Twitter and say that about children. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, that's it. I, I, I'm, uh, my hands are so washed of Kurt Schilling and it's tainted the way that I view that 2004 championship at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, don't get involved. Like, why? Like, because he was bringing. I, I heard about that as well. He was saying there was a there was a special on how it was a hoax or it was staged. Regardless, I don't need to know about that. Like, if you're an athlete, yeah. like, if that's your views, like, you know, 9-11 conspiracies, Sandy Hook, like the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, I don't need. It's like the Taylor Swift effect, right? Like how she's coming up with like, not to that extreme, but she's starting to get into politics and everything. Like people listen to Taylor Swift to listen to your music. People watch Kurt Schilling to to watch him play baseball or, or they did. They don't need to now listen to your views on these things. Yeah. If that's your views about the Sandy Hook fat, the shooting, dude, you're an idiot, but I don't need to hear about it. Why are you yeah. bring? you're not even relevant. Like- I know. There's no relevance in him. He, he's better off just shutting up. Like David Ortiz is going to get into the Hall of Fame, and that's going to be a big thing as well. He did PEDs. He yeah. tested negative. But you know what? I think they can go. They can put in PED guys a lot sooner than they're going to be able to put into this guy. He's putting yeah. himself into the the Pete Rose and yeah, you know, into the. Jose Canseco's of the world, where you're like, dude, you're you're no more than the reality TV star with yeah. your answers and your quotes. Right. I don't think he's helping his case next year it's, at all. It's insane to me that he still has more votes than Roger Clemens. Insane. Well, just to, yeah. just to add on to Kurt Schilling here, because obviously this comes down to a media vote for the first, you know, what is it, 15, 16 years there. And yeah. a lot of the media votes with how they had relationships with the players. Because mm -hmm. don't forget, Jim Rice, he had to wait until I think it was his last year of eligibility. Yeah. And there was another um, former player for the Minnesota Twins. His name isn't ringing a bell right now, but he wasn't really a media darling either. He had to mm -hmm. wait until the last year of his eligibility or right. until the Veterans Council. And in the case of Kurt Schilling, yes, he's been in the news for – you know, for sports reasons, good reasons, but he also threw the Red Sox ownership under the bus in his yeah. letter on why he didn't get in. You don't want to burn too many bridges because yeah. if you burn too many bridges, you aren't getting into the Hall of Fame. Now, maybe maybe his long end game is he doesn't want to get into the Hall of Fame. Maybe he wants to try and make a political career. We can talk about that another time in another place. But as far as stats go... <laughs> as far as stats go, yeah, we're, we all remember the bloody sock game, but yeah. his stats weren't exactly awe-inspiring. He was yeah. a career 216 and 146 pitcher, 3.46 ERA. His time with the Red Sox, uh, if you take out 2004, he had, if I'm doing the math right, just under a 5 or 6 ERA. He wasn't exactly gangbusters. The only reason he did great in Arizona is because he had Randy Johnson there helping him. Right. Um, he always had a, a supporting figure, whether it be, you know, mm -hmm. you know, a Pedro or something like that. That right. was always good. But I think with the major league baseball hall of fame, you're talking stats and numbers, obviously that's big, but I think a lot of times people get in just on the flash in the pan too, because mm 
of that game. Like I'm saying, like that sock's obviously going to be in the hall if, if he doesn't sell it. I, I think he. I think it's some, already in the. I think it's already in the hall of fame. I think it is now. I think there was talks of him wanting it back, and of course that's he does. His sock, and he wants to sell it, and but that's his flash in the pan. He could have yeah. rode those coattails into the hall of fame just mm-hmm. off of that. And I think like he's we we don't want to hear your views on that. Like if he wants to be a politician. Go be a politician, whatever. That's what you want to be. But like, if we're talking from a baseball perspective, we want to see, we want to watch you play the game. We, yeah. want to, we want we don't want to listen to this stuff. And his financial endeavors and everything too have been wild. But I think he's. But like you were saying about Roger Clemens, this might be to his own fault too. People still remember Kurt Schillings right now, and I don't know how yeah. many people remember Roger Clemens, whether it be good good publicity or bad. He's yeah. still in, he's still in public view, public knowledge, because he's making these ridiculous comments. Because right. for that, maybe that is why he's getting the seventy or seventy-one percent of the votes or whatever. Right. Because he still has that view. Whereas Roger Clemens kind of did the right thing, retired, went off to Texas, and yeah. has never been heard of since. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like when's the last time we ever heard of him, or or seen him, or heard heard from him? You haven't. So maybe yeah. that is fault. Maybe that would get him in on a veterans vote or whatever. Keeps him. I also, vote. I really don't think that the veterans are going to vote Kurt Schilling in. If he keeps, not, but... if he keeps doing shit like this, I really don't think that they're going to be as e- any more eager than the baseball writers to let him in. Right. No. I. I mean, I don't think the writers like him. I don't think they've liked him for years, and he's gotten seventy-one yeah. percent of the vote. Yeah. I do just want so to. So, do you think, you know, you know, was it three or four more percent of ex players yeah. like him? You know what I mean? So, yeah. it's not that big of a, a. He's not off by that much. Right. Let's see what a player's vote does. You know what yeah. I mean? Let's see where that lands. Does that get him at 50% or does that get him at the, the goal of whatever, you know, 75%? You know? Yeah. So, we'll see. But okay. I think he I think he doesn't get in, but th- yeah. that's my prediction. Now, we obviously, nobody got into the Hall of Fame this year, but next year's ballot features players like Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz, Mark Teixeira, who were obviously mm-hmm. names indicated right. in the steroid scandal. There yeah. are other names on the ballot. Barry Bonds has one more year left to go. Uh, Roger Clemens does as well. Mm-hmm. Gary Sheffield. Um, other players that were, you know, All PED. in, the, area, in yeah. the era of PEDs. Obviously, the writers don't like to have anyone involved with that scandal Mm -hmm. in the hall of fame but to me i think you're running out of a names to put in there (laughs) right you're running out of names to actually have years of eligibility left to go before eventually you just have to bite the bullet and put some of these names in there Mm -hmm. and i think with some of these players what you do and we can talk about this later on on another show but i think what you do is you put six or seven steroid users in there and yeah. make known as the steroid six or the steroid seven. Right. Uh, major league you want that though? Like I don't. That's you could do that, but I don't know if you, do you want that in your Hall of Fame. Like you, you know have to like, at this point. Such a, there was such a black eye. Like yeah, eventually they're probably going to get in with the veterans vote, or do you team up, you unite as as baseball writers and just don't vote for anybody. You know what I mean? And just make your point that this is was a tarnish on the game and that they don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because they did take away 
from the sanctity of the game. They they used PEDs. Like none of these guys you could vote in and and not have that hashtag or I mean the asterisk of right. PED user. And like John just said, well, do you just vote these guys in, these five or six guys, and say this is the PED section of the right. Hall of Fame? But but why would you want that? That's like yeah. That's like saying, you know, having Hall of, you know, having the presidential, you know, library of Joe Biden or Donald Trump and saying, well, this was the rigged election. You know what right. I mean? Like, is that what you want? Or, or do you just want to keep it the best players that play with their best God-given talent and I, got into it because of their numbers, not because they stuck a needle in their arm or their ass? Like, I just think the thing is, because so many of those players in that era were taking PEDs, doesn't that kind of level the playing field? Yeah. Yes. Like, I think I don't think A-Rod or Ortiz will end up having trouble getting into the Hall of Fame, even with that steroid thing, because I don't think it was made to be as big of a deal as it was when it was Clemens or when it was Barry Bonds. And I so I th I feel like because they were because they, you know, tested positive at some point, owned up to it and then continued to play, that kind of pushes them in a more favorable light than a Clemens or a Bonds because they lied about it for so long. But then you look at like Clemens. Yeah, exactly. Like Clemens should be in federal prison. I mean, he lied, you know, lied to Congress. Like all those right. guys lied under oath to Congress. They should be in right. jail. And that never happened with A. Rod or Ortiz. I think this. I think the story or the problem you're going to run into with a player like David Ortiz is you're going to have to weigh the question: Do you put David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame because of his his walk-off victories against the Yankees and the ALCS, is that more of a shining light than his right. time in PEDs? Because if you go ahead and search any of these players, guess what? The legacy of the game is going to be there was a steroid era. Right. To me, there should, there should, I'm not saying go ahead and build a steroid wing of the Hall of Fame, but have players in there <clears throat> that helped, that helped, I don't know if you can say help, but that, had a hand in changing how this game was played because right. I think as the years went by after 99, 2000, it didn't become about being a complete baseball player. It just became right. macking the ball out of the yard and throwing yeah. 300, 400 strikeouts in a season. To me, that's how this should be approached here. Guess what? The era of having the, you know, the Aussie Smith size players, the Dustin Pedroia size players, that's a thing of the past. Yeah. You're talking about players that are hitting home runs ridiculous amounts because of allowed PEDs or allowed, right. um, you know, proteins that they can have. Did Mark McGuire juice up? Yes. But I think he also helped out bring this game back from a dark place in the mid nineties right. in a strike, in a strike season back in 93, 94. Yeah. Sammy Sosa did the same thing. That's all baseball was in 98 mm -hmm. or 99. Same right. thing with Barry Bonds. He brought baseball back to life because of his home run chase. These Jamie guys, Dose yes, changed his whole view, his whole view on his, his whole persona. He looks like Count Dracula now. He, he changed a little too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to me, these players changed the game, and yeah. they changed the history of the game, much like what we saw in 1919 with the Chicago Black Sox. There, right? I think. I think with. One of the things that kind of Ortiz has above the other steroid users is that he changed what 
you know, how you look at the defense, the designated hitter position. He was like the Tony, like what Tony Gonzalez was to tight ends in the NFL. David Ortiz is to DHs in the, in the MLB. He made it a position that, you know, without needing to be on the field during like a defensive player made it. So he was someone who could be a difference maker in the game. And I think we see more and more often nowadays, these designated hitters that are, that are, you know, defining players and not just, you know, another batter, another batter on the, in the lineup. So I think that kind of plays into the positives about David Ortiz. Also, you know, it wasn't until David Ortiz is on that Red Sox team that the, the Red Sox Yankees thing got interesting again. And, you know, A-Rod was on the Yankees. And I, so I think, you know, just the simple fact that, you know, baseball ri- relies more heavily on rivalries than any of the other sports have. And for the last 20 years, the Red Sox and the Yankees being, you know, competitive with each other again, like they were at the beginning of the, the league's existence, has made it, you know, so much better to watch this the league in general. And A-Rod and, and Ortiz had a lot to do with that. So I, I would be remiss to not have either one of them in the in the Hall of Fame. I, I I agree that they're going to get in. I just think if you let one in, how can you not let the other? No, I agree. I completely agree. And, and that's why yeah. I think what we'll see is if the two of them end up being first ballot Hall of Famers the year after. And, you know, I it could be bad because, you know, it's obviously Bonds and Clemens last year on the ballot. But I think that the Veterans Council will have more, you know, will feel better letting those two in in the future if now we put someone like Ortiz and, and A-Rod in the, in the So let, let me just say this. I, I know it's a little bit different. If you let those guys in, do you let Pete Rose get another sniff? I think yeah. Pete Rose. I, I don't know if I'd let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. I would let Pete Rose no, come back snap. to baseball. A I'd let him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Really? I, I No, I mean, I'm just saying because like if we're, if we're letting all this, if it's getting more liberal to let people in. Right. Because regardless of whatever you want to say, like they did PEDs, they didn't, right. they did the proteins, whatever, they changed the game or whatever. You can look back on his stats. I don't have them in front of me, but right. look back on Rose's stats. He was a great guy. Like, did he make some mistakes? Did he have some poor yeah. miss, like, you know, betting on games, bet, you know, right. fixing games? Yeah, but – I mean, if we're forgiving other people for other things, if we're, right. if, if God forbid, you know, Kurt Schilling is a member of the baseball hall, major league baseball hall of fame up yeah. in Cooperstown, which is supposed to be this hollowed ground. And he right. made comments on, like you said, Sandy Hook or right. on presidential thing, you know, with immigration. And it, you're going to let that guy in and that's fine. And in the age of Twitter, I know it's hard to be, to avoid it. Everything's yeah. screenshotted and sent around so fast. Right. But this guy has more black, you know, black flags attached to his name or, you know, bad tweets or whatever you want to call it. Right. But people have made a mistake back in the 70s. Yeah. And that can be exonerated. You know I what I mean? Another I, issue MLB is facing, though, is if they keep ostracizing Pete Rose and then decide to do, you know, what the other uh, other sports are doing and start, you know, partnering with DraftKings or FanDuel or, or what any of these other sports betting websites, you can't right. you can't have one without the other. You cannot keep condemning Pete Rose for betting on these games, but then make profit off of people betting on the games like that's just it, 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 it can't be. You can't have both things. So if they start doing this stuff, you know, and, and 
if they if that's what they want to do, more power to them. But they need to let Pete Rose back in the game if they do that. It's just it's just what ha- what has to happen. Right. It, I I completely agree. There's no way like that's the only reason why I bring that up, and it's. It's been a dead topic for years, and I think he's kind of accepted it. And Major League Baseball is just waiting for someone to bring that up. It has to be wondering if someone's going to bring that up because, yeah, he did bet on the games, and like, yeah, let's go back to the Black Sox and like that all that yeah. whole era. And you can say like baseball's had a lot of errors. They had the dead ball error. They had the Babe Ruth error. They had. Yeah. There have been a lot of changes in this game. It is. It, it's a big difference. Like you made a good point with the designated hitter. Should that be its own? section of the hall of fame should that be its own error as well yeah. because that did change the game a lot that took a lot of the athleticism out of the game and more well not the athleticism but just focusing on just hitting whereas right. before you had to be a good first baseman you had to be a good right. left fielder to be a big hitter in the game because that's generally where they hid the guys that weren't that athletic right. put them at first base, put them in left field because you know like a man ramirez or you know one of those kind right. of guys that they could that they could get that, and then this kind of created a new thing where they could just hide him as a designated hitter. Like right. the National League's been without it for so many years. I'd like to see it become, you know, a, a, the whole game. I think is just yeah. Make well, it designated they, hitter, but they voted that down like earlier this week. I think. Yeah, but well, we'll see. You know, maybe yeah. they'll change it. Maybe they'll surprise us. But who knows? Who knows? Hey. Baseball still thinking it's back in like 1920. So yeah, eventually it'll start. Well, with their thinking sometimes, yes. With their thinking sometimes they are. But if they are going to change the sanctity of the game with letting people in and -hmm. and changing things up, they need to do it all the way around and make it fair for Pete Rose and let him come back into the game or make him eligible or whatever. I mean, I don't know how old he is now. And he's not going to come back to the game. But I mean – He's playing in his mid But I think as it stands, I don't think he's even allowed into a Major League Baseball park. No, no. But, Which but, is yeah. crazy. But you can do steroids and you can host whatever show you friggin' right. want. And you but can like, do that. crazy, like, to think that, yeah, the guy did bet on a game. Maybe he did whatever. Like, which is crazy in itself. But yeah. give the guy a 10-year ban. You have A-Rod right. and David Ortiz that are on the Major League Baseball playoff preview. Right. Like you said, like let let it be whatever it is, let it be its own error or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they still did technically right. the same thing. But they're they're wanted at these games. Right. And, you know, David Ortiz has not been torn, you know, turned away from Fenway Park because right. he he was tested positive. If same anything, I wish I think they wish he was there more often. <laughs> right, exactly. He's a face. Same with A Rod in New York. Yeah. Same with you know. Name your your guy someplace else. But I don't know right. what Barry Bonds is up to in San Francisco, but I'm sure he wouldn't be turned away at the gates to okay. go to a Giants game. You know, so yeah. I mean, at this point, I think the Red Sox need David Ortiz because I have a feeling this is going to be another flusher of a season. But we'll talk Woo-hoo, about that. Can't wait. We'll talk about that <laughs> later on. Uh, thanks for watching and listening to uh, this episode of Out of Bounds for Mary Evers and Corey Cloudman. I'm John Luck. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>